We have a few questions for the people who made the vampire's coffin. I thought that a vampire was supposed to be one of the most powerful and terrifying creatures ever imagined. So why does your vampire look and act like he'll blow away in a stiff breeze? <laughs> Where do you get your moonlight from? It's like five times brighter than my sunlight. (laughs) 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 All right. Did anybody think to give him a lozenge? Oh, I'm sorry. That's spelled Uh, (laughs) C-O-F-F-I-N. A Smith Brothers film. (laughs) Well, anyway, um, those other questions may or may not be answered in this episode of Temple of Bad. You see, when you hear it, you, you can't really tell if it's describing an object or it's an act, actually an action. So that's where the confusion lay. That's Oh my God, let it go. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the Temple of Bad, the show where we talk about movies so awful, they're practically a religious experience. I'm Dan Persons. I'm Andrea Lipinski. I'm Kevin Lauderdale. And I'm Arendal Hawkins. And remember, every movie we talk about on Temple of Bad is available for you to watch on Netflix, which we recommend you do because, listen, you're 43 years old. You just look silly playing Pokemon Go. Hey. (laughs) Look at it personal. I've done it too. (laughs) So, um, Andrea, this was uh, your choice, and of course you had picked uh, another film for us to uh, to cover. Do you want to you want to talk about the sad tale of what happened there? Well, this was sort of my choice. This was the backup of the backup of my backup choice. Um, we were supposed to watch Pinocchio, as I'd mentioned in the earlier episode. Um, Roberto Benigni, piece of mental insanity. Um, and my backup choice for that was Beneath Loch Ness. Uh, and both of those have been removed from the Netflix streaming list. Sucks to be me. So uh, instead, I just looked through Netflix and I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. And then I said, wait a minute, The Vampire's Coffin, 1958, from Mexico. Sign me up for that. (laughs) Simple as that. Yes. I'm really disappointed because I was really looking forward to doing Pinocchio. You know, I, I I I haven't seen really any of Roberto Benigni's work, and definitely I didn't see uh, Life is Beautiful, the film he won the Oscar for. However, I did see him accepting the Oscar, and just from that, I, I sort of went, oh, I know you. You're the whimsical guy. I hate you. So, <laughs> uh, very, very, very whimsical, very effusive, very yeah. you know high energy. So yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of that in Pinocchio. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sorry we missed it, but we do have the vampire's coffin, so that's a good thing. We also have a trailer uh, for it, which sort of surprised me um, a little bit. But we will give you the audio of that. This was actually part of like a, a, a spook show sort of trailer. It's the sort of thing where they promote a live stage show and then they have the movies. And apparently they just patched in the trailer 
for um, for the vampire's coffin into it. So um, I'm going to run it, and you will hear it as running as a double feature, but I do want to run that part of it because, I mean, I love the voiceover on this. The guy sounds like he has a vendetta against the film. So here it is. Here's the trailer for The Vampire's Coffin. How much shock can you take? From the depths of evil comes a diabolic killer of beautiful women. The vampire's coffin. See a vampire's body stolen from its tomb. A psycho killer removes the stake so the vampire can again prey on beautiful women. And to complete a double night of horror, a monster's nightmare of terror turned loose in a fight to the death. The robot versus the Aztec mummy. They will bring you a night of terror. to see them, but don't come alone. The Vampire's Coffin in an all-new double horrorama show with The Robot versus the Aztec Mummy presented in Hypnoscope. By the way, that cut-off scream is the way the trailer ends on YouTube, and I'm actually hoping it actually ended that way and sort of left the audience in the theater going, huh? But, uh, oh, and also, I have no idea what hypnoscope is. I don't think William Castle was involved in this in any way, so, you know, I'm, I'm at sea as far as that's concerned. So, anyway, the plot of The Vampire's Coffin. Not particularly complex. Um, Dr. Mendoza and his assistant, Baratza, break into the crypt of the vampire Count Lavoud. Or Lavud? Lavoud? Your guess is as good as mine. In any case, they break in there, they steal the coffin and bring it and the corpse back to the hospital because science? Mm -hmm. Um, In any case, it it is unclear exactly why they're doing this. Um, By the way, um, the hospital appears to have an entrance sign done by the guy who typically typically does signage for the funnel cake uh, stand at your state's fair. It's, so it's very entertaining that way. Um, the doctor shows his find to his colleague, Dr. Enrique Saldivar, who's played by Abel Salazar, whom you may remember for, from our previous show on The Brainiac. He's the Brainiac himself. Woo. And uh, his performance in this film is a pip. We'll be talking about that. Anyway, Enrique's girlfriend, Marta, is also staying at the hospital, not sure why she's detoxing or having a hotness implant, something like that. Um, in any case, Baratza, he sees uh, sort of like an amulet on the Count's chest. He wants the amulet. Unfortunately, the stake that pins the uh, the vampire to the coffin is in the way. 
So he removes it, which turns out to be a big mistake. The count comes back to life. I didn't know that could happen, but there you go. Um, and in his uh, stumbling around the hospital, he catches sight of Marta, falls immediately in love, and the rest of the film, more or less, is about the Count trying to put his amulet around Marta's neck, because once she's wearing it, she'll be in his power forever. Unless that doesn't happen, which also seems to be a possibility. Um, hopefully we'll... and. Um, Hopefully we'll get into uh, the Wax Museum and Marta's career as a dancer as well. Um, so, any case, uh, Andrea, you know, you, you said sign me up, I'm in when you saw it was uh, the uh, uh, a vampire film from Mexico. Here's what did it for me, is that you wrote us and you said this is the film we're going to be doing. And as is typical for me, I, uh, you know, I brought up Netflix and, and watched a few minutes of it just to get some sort of idea what we would be in store for. And here, here's the way the film begins, is that uh, Dr. Mendoza and Baratza are robbing the grave, right? So they meet at the graveyard, they're in front of the gate, uh, Baratza picks the lock. Um, he's with Dr. Mendoza. Dr. Mendoza is standing behind him. He picks the lock, and he swings the gate open, uh, and he gets the gate pretty much all the way open, and then if you look at the lower right corner of the frame, a hand reaches in and pulls the gate the rest of the way out. There's no third character that's supposed to be there. That was a stage hand there, and that was the point I said, I love you. So that that was my enticement um, into the film. Here's the other thing about this film. Um, then I, I've got to thank you, Andrea, for this, is that I actually saw this film more or less when I was about seven or eight years old. I was playing at a friend's house. Her brother was watching this on TV, and I would catch sight of it every now and then, and things stuck with me from that. I, I, I was not geek at that point. I really wasn't into science fiction or horror or fantasy at all at that point. But I, I was watching this, and there was stuff that just stuck with me. One was the, uh, the shot when um, the Count... Uh, uh, when Baratza brings the Count back to life, the Count, uh, the Count hypnotizes Baratza, and there's a close-up of the Count's mouth where he shows him the fangs. That was one thing that stuck in my memory. Um, the the whole thing about removing the stake, I'm not sure how at that point I I knew anything about vampire mythology. But I did, and I saw that the removing of the stake bit and him coming back to life, and I said, that isn't something that's supposed to happen, is it? And so that was the other thing. And uh, towards the end of the film, Marta gets snatched away from Baratza as she goes up uh, into the flies of the theater. Uh, and I remember that shot. And this is the weird thing, is that I think one of the things that really stood out for me was that the film felt very different from, like, the horror films that my brother 
was watching in the science fiction films like the Flash, Gordon, Buster Crab uh, type films and those sort of things that my brother would watch. And I, I, God knows I wasn't a cineast at that point, but something about the quality of the production did stick out for me. And what surprises me about this film, and uh, I think Kevin is going to go a little deeper into this, is that there is something to be said for the quality of the production here. Uh, this is not really like uh, the Brainiac in that regard. The film is goofy as all hell, but it's actually a, a, a pretty good production. The, the cinematography is uh, impressive. The cutting is good. Um, even the acting, you know, for what it is, is good. And, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you made the uh, the point about the count, you know, which which, which is true. He's, he's kind of... Uh, it's kind of whisper thin. However, the actor German Ro- Robles or Robles maybe um, as the Count, I thought was quite good in the role. He plays this char- charismatic macho type, and I, I maybe not macho, but very charismatic. Uh, and I was rather impressed with that. And um, I, I, I will say one other thing is that I really liked what they did with the uh, transition from of the vampire from human to bat. And here again, cheesy as all hell. Um, it, 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 you see the bat flying in. You can actually see the wire carrying the rubber bat. And then they just do a smash cut. And boom, the count rises up into flame, into flame, into frame and does like a flourish with his cape. But you know what? It's done with panache and I, 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 I really sort of like that. You know, this is, this is actually unlike the Brainiac. Um, this is a film that I could actually recommend watching for its production largely without irony, you know, and, I don't know if the last time when we talked about the Brainiac, if I if I invoke Guillermo del Toro um, at that point, I'm not, I, I I may have or I may have not, but I can imagine like Guillermo del Toro watching this film on TV and going, "Oh yeah, that's the thing that I want to do." You know, th- this could be an inspiration. So. I, 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 there was actually a lot to, to like about this film. How did it work for you once you got into it, Andrea? Well, first I watched it, and then I recommended it to you guys, uh-huh. and then I was reading up on it, and I said, oh, this is a sequel. Ah. So first off, there was one part of your introduction um, that I can correct. It's not just that like he sees Marta and falls in love with her. He's been after her since the first movie, oh, okay. which was The Vampire from 1957. Okay. So, but I didn't know. I mean, the thing is, you can enjoy this without having seen that. We all did. Yeah. Um, but there are references to you know, hey, are you still here? Or hey, weren't you the one who did this thing? And you're like, did what thing? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> um. But you're still able to enjoy it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the bad stuff is bad, but the good stuff is good. Um, and there, there is, right, I mean, panache is a good word. There, there's like, there is, you know, cinema talent here. 
So, I mean, I'm watching it and, you know, goofy stuff is happening and you do see the rubber bats being, you know, held up by wires. But then you see shots that look like they're from Nosferatu Mm -hmm. or the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or whatever. And you're like, ooh, that is sort of creepy and inventive. Or now it feels like a film noir or now it feels like... But then the bat comes by and then it's screeching (laughs) like a seagull and you're like, what? (laughs) What what the hell just happened? I was just saying this was a good movie. Um, Yeah, I I did make my boyfriend watch this with me once. And then today I told him I was going to watch it again. And he was like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, no, it's okay. You know, it's not really such a bad movie. And he gave me such a look. (laughs) And then I said, okay, it's not Birdemic bad. And he said, okay. I agree with you there. So, um, you know, I, I enjoyed it more than I expected to, but I just thought that, you know, the plot was entertaining, the cast was entertaining. There's there's all sorts of weird little touches in this film that are sort of surreal or funny or unexpectedly comic. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of a mixture of a bunch of stuff going on here that, that we need to sit down and analyze. <laughs> The, the the nature of my life, I watch these films in installments, and this was a case where I was really looking forward to getting back to the film. It, you know, it was that enjoyable. Kevin, what was your reaction? In 1966, Woody Allen had his first real directorial exercise. He took a Japanese spy film. And totally redubbed it. Mm-hmm. What's up, Tiger Lily? Right. I'd love to do that with this movie. <laughs> this, mo- <laughs> this movie is gorgeous. This is one, just blown away. This is one of the best looking films we've seen. Andrea was dead on. It looks half the time like it's German expressionist, Nosferatu, gorgeous black and white shadings, amazingly dramatic shadows film noir, some deep focus stuff. Towards the end, when they're going down the stairs in the, the, the bowels of the theater, it's like, oh, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. So this is a great film to watch, maybe with the volume turned off. <laughs> um, and you can sort of make up your own dialogue because it's a vampire movie and you know what's going on, or, or do you? One of the things that was not clear on, does this film subscribe to the three-bite rule? Or is it one bite and you're a vampire? What's the conversion rate? No, clearly not, because the little girl is bitten and she doesn't turn into a vampire. We don't see anybody turn into a vampire. Nobody turns into a vampire. No, he doesn't convert anybody. This is is closer. You know, it's not invoked, but it's it's closer, I guess, to Dracula, where you have to have like the uh, the vampire's baptism in order. Okay, it, it isn't just a bite. Yeah, but look, I mean, there there's a bunch of stuff in here that's like I don't know if they made it up from whole cloth or if there's like I mean, everyone has their own idea of the vampire mythos. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, the most fundamental films we're talking, you know, going back to, you know, the early 1900s, uh, you know, I mean, the, the Dracula book, the films of the early 1900s, English and Spanish, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, were sort of like setting the stage for like Dracula and what Dracula is. Uh, and you have your ideas, but there's stuff that's like, oh, so if you put the, the mirror up, it doesn't reflect him, but it reflects his skull. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm I, like, I what what science or logic or where did you pull that out of? I, I, <laughs> where did I you get that theory? I, I, I can't explain it in terms of mythos. I think I can explain it in terms of film logic, which is that you, the point that you see that the vampire is in the coffin, right? And yes. Doctor Mendoza holds up the mirror. Uh, to see it, and you see the reflection of the skeleton. The reason why for that is that if you didn't have a skeleton there, you just see some padding and stuff. So it wouldn't make much sense about. And remember that we haven't yet seen the count himself at that point. So that yes, was- but but the logic that they used, and I wrote this down because I had to remember it, was the light rays go through the skin. <laughs> Wait, they go through the skin, but they don't go through the bone? Well, well, there's also a piece later on where his reflection, he's walking up behind Mona, and his reflection does not show up at all in the mirror. Yeah. Just the necklace is being held up. So this movie violates its own logic, (laughs) and which, of course, is why it's being talked about on... These are all striking visuals. These are all these are all striking visuals. More more example that at least a cinematographer or somebody was working really hard. Continuity people may have not been working very hard. The actors may have not been working very hard. The writer may have not been working (laughs) very hard. But it's a beautiful film to watch. Go ahead, Hawk. Sorry, Hawk. What did what did you think of the film? Well, I, I have three things to start with here. First of all, Andrea. I am surprised you still have a boyfriend after all the torture you put him through. <laughs> Secondly, I've actually seen this movie before. Hey, um, Ooh. I see a theme. <laughs> I, Wait a minute. Were, were you a young Arenthal Hawkins still in your formative years and this movie <laughs> changed your life? <laughs> am I actually, the only one who's never seen this film before? Jeez. Actually, no, I've seen, I saw it six months ago. I was sitting wow. around... I, and I was looking on and around on Netflix for something to watch, and The Vampire's Coffin was recommended. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I watched it, and I'm like, nah, we'll never do this on the Temple of Man. I mean, we already did, did the Brainiac. Why would we do this? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this. I mean, so not much. unless <laughs> Netflix pulls all of our other choices yeah, off at well. the last minute. <laughs> so I, I was, I, we'll never do this one. Uh, maybe actually, if we do do this one, maybe it'll be somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Well, don't be me. Um, and uh, finally, one of the things I didn't notice in my first viewing, but I noticed in this viewing, was that um, the Count himself is played by an actor who appeared in The Brainiac. Uh, one of the Brainiac's first victims of, of revenge oh. was a professor and his daughter. You remember he hypnotized them both. Right, right. And then made out with the daughter. And he looked like he was constipated when he was being hypnotized. <laughs> his eyes were bugging out. <laughs> that is the Count. Ah. Just just without the goatee and mustache. Ah. So, uh, and of course, the Baron uh, in the Brainiac is, of course, our, our Dr. Enrique, who is still seducing maidens, <laughs> as he did in the previous movie, The Brainiac, he's seducing maidens, mm-hmm. except this time he's not using his supernatural powers to do so. Mm-hmm. He's just using 
his suave and debonair lines like, Marta, Marta, Martita. Yes. So, well, I will mention once again that he is a primary actor in this movie. He was the producer of this movie. Yeah. He apparently produced a bunch of uh, Mexican films. So maybe as the producer, he made sure that it was in his contract. I get to make out with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the smooching? More smooching in the script. Bezos. Bezos. <laughs> uh, there are just... There are certain things, though, that I sat there, and, and, and it's the internal logic. This movie is beautiful, as, you, as everyone said, but the internal logic just it keeps shooting its own foot with its internal logic because it just baffles me. Um, some of it is just stupid for stupid sake. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's a warning outside of. The Count's coffin. They read it and just rip it off the wall and take it off. Mm-hmm. Now, if I see a warning about something, I generally don't go near it. It doesn't matter what it is. Warning, poison. Oh, I, I better not go near that. But these people, warning, oh, I'll just remove the sign and immediately it's in my way. Yeah, but Hawk, uh, if we if people in this movie didn't make stupid decisions, we wouldn't have a movie. That's right. True. True. And, and and Hawk, by the way, if if people uh, like this didn't make such decisions, we wouldn't have Gremlins either. That is true. <laughs> so I said when is that, it not after midnight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching the Page Stooge, um, uh, Barasa. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching him, and he's, I'm looking at the, the chain in question that he wants, and I'm thinking, oh, that's not really, doesn't really look that valuable. <laughs> you seem to be, like, really lusting after it, and there's a giant stick sticking in the chest of a body. Why would you, re- ooh, ooh. And I, at the moment he took it out, I'm like, well, the moment I saw the whole sequence, I'm like, well, this won't end well. <laughs> and I'm like, have you never watched movies? That was all I could think when I saw this. Have you never watched movies? <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say that, that Barazza is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> and uh, I think he's, he's barely like, the it, deepest spoon in the drawer. Uh, no, it's like that joke about, um, uh, you know, like, here's a... I now I can't remember what comedian said it, but it was the difference between like you know people who like Jeopardy and people who like Wheel of Fortune, and the description of Wheel of Fortune was, and here's so and so who's fascinated by small shiny objects. <laughs> I think he's like a crow. I think it's just like ooh yeah, shiny, yeah. <laughs> must have. That's kind of where his brain is. Also, violations of the internal logic aside from the mirror thing, which I've mentioned already. Uh, Marta is supposed to be in the theater. She's supposed to be an active participant and dancer in this production. And she does not dance well at all. What's and weird I, is she, she dances pretty well in the rehearsal space. In the theater, not at all. It was awful. And I'm like, she is the worst dancer up there. How is she the star? <laughs> we got to talk about her. Because she, 
What is she doing at the hospital? Is she a registered I nurse practitioner? I, I was trying to figure that out as well. It, 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 I, 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 maybe I, Andrea, did you see the previous film? I did not see the previous film, but when I was reading reviews of this film, I found references to the first film because a lot of times they're put together like as a double bill on DVDs. So the implication I, is that she is recuperating from the you know attacks and running around and dealing with the vampire from the first film. Yeah, that, uh, and she that, and the doctor yeah. become friends in the first film, and the vampire comes after her in the first film, and then she goes back to recuperate um, with the doctor's hospital. But this is it's not clear because it just looks like she's a you know a pretty lady who happens to be lounging around in the hospital in her in her pretty nightclothes. Yeah, because within the context of the film, what you see is uh, the child that's in this film wakes up from a nightmare, and Marta goes in to take care of her, and from that you presume, this is in the hospital, you presume, oh, she must be the nurse on duty. I thought she was a family member or something when that first happened, you know. Yeah, so, and then, you know, later on in the film, she says, oh, I'm going back to the theater. And I said, wait a minute, you've got a career as a nurse and a dancer? She's Barbie. (laughs) It it is a little, yeah. It it is a little bit confusing. I had had in my notes um, that the casting of the hot chick, Marta, Begs the question, do you cast dancers who can act or actors who can dance? Because I'm okay with her acting, but whenever she was dancing, she looked like she was counting the beats in her head. (laughs) She was a member of the Rhythmless Nation. (laughs) (laughs) Uno, dos, uh, cuatro. No, no, no. no, I, (laughs) I was amusing myself with the idea that she was somehow studying to be a nurse and a dancer the same time. <laughs> that's, all I could, that's dedication. And I, all I could think was, and now a musical number. Pay no attention to the very bad dancer on your screen. <laughs> so um, I, I want to uh, talk about um, Salazar and his performance because he, he plays Enrique. Uh, he's supposed to be our hero and the first time we see him he has a little dialogue scene with Marta and he's very charming and he's very attractive and he's very macho he's very very much like the character in the Brainiac I forget what the character's name is but you know he was like supposed to be charismatic and handsome and all of that so he starts out that way and once Mendoza shows him the coffin he changes completely and uh, the, the the only way I can e- explain it is that it appears he seems that that he has studied at the uh, prestigious drama school of um, so, somehow he he winds up tri- triangulating between Curly Howard and Wally Cox in his character. Am, am, am I out of line there? And he's our hero. Am I out of line? Well, you are out of line because that only lasts while he's in the hospital. And then once they leave the hospital, later on, in the show, he says things like, uh, tomorrow, I'll take care of it. But the funny thing is, you know, and, he, and he's very heroic when he says this, but the thing is, he has taken care of nothing at this point <laughs> in the film. Yeah. You should have no confidence that he'll be able to take yeah. care of 
anything. Because the Count has done whatever he has wanted to from the beginning of this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, Doc. Uh, mm-hmm. And I need to skip to the climax just because, um, again, you're talking about how incompetent he was. Again, that stops. He, t- he says confident things, and in the end, he becomes super confident because in the very climax, he throws the javelin the count oh boy. hitting him to the wall which by the way and again in a breaking of logic that makes no kind of sense in the real world he's got a man pinned up against the wall who the police know nothing about who could <laughs> just as easily just be the victim of a murder and they allow <laughs> allowing Nike and Marta to just walk out of the <laughs> with no yes. or anything it's just okay you can leave now you <laughs> Uh, you might have killed a guy, but, you know, like a crime, but... Mexican police, what can you say? <laughs> so corrupt. This vampire so, is indestructible. Okay. He may be put into, like, some form of suspended animation if you pierce his heart with a stick, but you can keep doing that. His body simply will not corrupt at all. I like that we're questioning both the scientific and the legal ramifications <laughs> of this film. Because the science was getting me every which way. You know, the issue with the mirrors and what they do or don't reflect and how the hell that works. Um, I mean, do- but also Dr. Dr. Saldivar is like, what kind of a hero is Dr. Saldivar? First off, those scenes at the beginning when he's making out with uh, Marta, I mean, he's trying to make out with Marta. And she is pulling away from him in a not, like, teasing isn't this wonderful way, like a no, I don't want to kiss you way. (laughs) And he says to her, you move your lips too much. Okay, gentlemen, do do you ever want a woman to stop? To stop talking and start smooching, you should say, you move your lips too much. Because believe me, women love when you say things like that to them. Just try it. Try it next time. Let, let me know how that wait, goes. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this down. So he's saying, you move your lips. Coming in time for Christmas, our new book, Love Tips from Temple of Bad. <laughs> but, here's the other th- but here's the other thing. Dr. Saldivar, our hero. He leaves potential victims alone all the time. Uh, Even like the little girl's already been attacked. He's like, okay, no, we no, she'll be fine. No, no, let's leave her alone. So, like, excuse me, she's been attacked once. You no, post a guard, mm-hmm. anything, move her to a different room, anything. Nope. And it's like the yeah, it's like oh yeah, no, let me just leave you alone. Oh, let me just leave you alone. Let me just leave you alone. What what the hell kind of a bedside manner is that? Power of voters compelled because he's always chasing after something that's after Martha. So the power of boner is compulsive. I must, I must, oh. I must follow my boner. Uh, I, oh. little girl? No, 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 not her. That would be inappropriate. No, no, no. Martha, yes, must follow, yes. Uh, I... I want to go back um, to talk about the cinematography for just a little bit here because, um, as both Andrea and Kevin noted, it is quite impressive. And I checked it out. The uh, the DP on this was Victor Herrera. He, he has like a, um, a roster of 176 films that he shot. Uh, apparently all in Mexico, which amazes me because 
I can't imagine why he wasn't raided by Hollywood or Europe or something because clearly he can work on a shoestring budget and get incredible work. And there was one thing we haven't uh, raised yet that I just wanted to point out. There's a sequence in uh, the Wax Museum. It introduces the Wax Museum to the film, and a guide is taking a crowd of tourists uh, through the museum and show basically the uh, uh, the Chamber of Horrors in the museum, and so he's showing them the guillotine and uh, an Iron Maiden and all of this, and he takes them through and he gives them the tour, and I, I forget it's like a two or three minute film, all done in one take, you know, and it, it's not quite good, fellas. But the camera is moving back. It's moving laterally. It's a, it's an elaborately choreographed sequence. And given what they've got to work with, that was pretty amazing. Okay, of well, all the are... fra- phrases I expected to hear during this conversation, it's not quite Goodfellas was not, <laughs> was not on that list. Well, there are unsung geniuses everywhere yeah. and it's just a miracle that so many films have survived so we get to actually see them yeah i mean ordinarily if this were you know for 50 years ago we wouldn't have seen this movie i mean if we didn't have the home video revolution we would never see 99.99 percent of, of the world's films yeah. and i'm going to classify mexican cinema as world film because it's not america so thank god for the internet thank god for film preservation because you never know what you're going to find. There, there's a lesson for you folks at home listening. Mm-hmm. It's like we talk about these movies, we make fun of them. Watch them, you never know what you're going to find. I'd never heard of this movie as I've established. I'm the only person who'd never seen it before. And when I'm watching, I was just like I said before, I was blown away. I was like, "This is really cool. Thank you for introducing me to this." <laughs> well, yeah, yay! Yeah. Now, of course, we have to go back and, and track down the 1957 one that came. Before yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> They had to answer your question as to why it wasn't rated. Probably because of the same reason, and part of the same reasons that we, you know, Kurosawa was never rated for American films. Um, you know, good old fashioned, you know, it's, it is the Race- 50s. Good old fashioned racism. Racism? Uh, I, I, you know what? I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it would have taken somebody like a, a Woody Allen. Or, or for that matter, a Scorsese or something like that, that type of person to do it. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, maybe Corman, well, Corman, you know, just sort of reached out to whoever was nearby and said, you, you're it. So, um, maybe not that. Did a bunch of people come, sorry, did a bunch of people come aside from England and maybe Germany? Did a bunch of people come from any other countries to America I, I, to make movies? The, the prime source, have, have, at least um, up to the 50s, I think, was England and was Germany. Yeah. I think that was about mm-hmm. it. Um, Although Mexico is closer, so again, you'd figure. Yeah, you, you figure that, but, you know, it. I, I, I would say this, Hawk, as far as racism is concerned... Yes, in a way, in that, you know, the people who could have noticed it may never have stepped into a theater at that point that was running a Mexican horror film. 
you know, because it was a Mexican horror film. So in that way, that's true. Well, but a lot of stuff, there were certain certain producers that would import stuff from other countries. Yeah, yeah. There's a note in the IMDb trivia on this film um, that ties into K. Gordon Murray. And K. Gordon Murray was famous for, like, getting, you know, Mexican stuff, redubbing it, and just releasing it right. in America. Yeah, but he, he didn't actually pr- produce films himself. Right, yes. But he, he sort of yeah. grabbed them and packaged them. Yeah, and the, the people who mattered never noticed this. And, uh, you know, it, it, as, as Kevin says, there are, um, there are heroes who generally have remained unsung because they, never, they were never in the place where they could be noticed or they were never in the right place. They, well, it's a pleasant it's a pleasant surprise for a really? movie that's kind of like you know yeah. oh you know it's kind of a B movie and it's a whatever you know this was probably something that was brought to America and then they would just show it in drive-ins or stuff like that mm. but then you watch it and you're like oh wait there's there's some classy part of this I mean in between all the goofy stuff <laughs> there is this classy stuff yeah let's not turn our regular listeners off <laughs> this is not some as- <laughs> This is not some esthete art film, okay? This is a cheesy vampire Mexican <laughs> Mexican vampire movie. But while you're watching it, you're going to go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I, I, I will throw this in. It is also at points um, rather uncommonly brutal, um, I thought. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, there is a sequence here again in the Wax Museum where there is uh, uh, this woman from the village, Maria Teresa, who's trying to hunt down the vampire. And she hides in the uh, in the Iron Maiden there. And Baratza catches her and slams the door shut, shut. And there isn't any gore, but still it is a pretty grisly uh, sequence. And as we pointed out, there is a child that gets bitten by the count, you know, and here again, you do not see it, but just the implication of this handsome, charismatic adult count biting a child is rather heavily freighted. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely sort of violence on different levels in this uh, in this film. I mean, the little girl gets bitten, although we never see any actual consequences of that. Um, and uh, you know, there's another guy who I don't know. He could have bitten him, but then instead, it's like I'm going to get this guy in a headlock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Just suffocate him that way because yeah. I feel like it. Um, there is, of course, the the mighty javelin throw. Um, but yes, the the thing with the uh, with the Iron Maiden or the what is it called? The Virgin of of uh, Nuremberg, yeah. Virgin Luxembourg of Guadalupe, or something. Or something. I, the yeah. Virgin of something. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think it's Nuremberg. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was okay, yeah, that's it. that was it was, it was pretty grim. And no, and actually, after he slams the door. You do see some liquid coming out of the bottom yeah, of the thing. Yeah. Now it does not look like blood. I don't know what the hell it was. A bouillabaisse soup or something. It was yeah, very yeah, strangely. Yeah. It's a black and white movie, so it's hard to tell what Sangria. blood a- should Andrea? look like. Andrea, Andrea, yes, Chardonnay. Yes. Ew. <laughs> so uh, when I was watching the movie, I, I took notes about uh, uh, you know the, my general overview of the cast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
talk about I that. I thought please. I could sh- – some of these things we have touched on already, but as I was uh, watching it, I was like, hey, okay, here we have a wacky movie, and it's starring an old lady who's probably about 37. <laughs> By the way, I looked her up on IMDb. She was 38. Score! <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so I was I not that. far off. Because I was like, well, did they just gray up her hair? She doesn't look like an old lady. Were there no old ladies available in Mexico for this? <laughs> she was very spry. At one point, she was running around, and I'm like, yes. I'm like, that's not an old woman. So the old lady was secretly uh, th- in her late 30s, um, a ruthless thug with an alarming amount of body hair, <laughs> um, a hot chick who's inexplicably hanging out in the hospital, although I later started to figure out why she was hanging out in the hospital, um, a little girl who's good at screaming and not much else, uh, our buddy the Brainiac as a doctor who can't keep it in his pants, <laughs> Uh, a, a vampire who has spent way too much time styling his eyebrows. <laughs> Seriously, his eyebrows and eyelashes are more beautiful than mine will ever be. Um, plus, a cast of characters who have little to no peripheral vision and who are way too easily hypnotized by a medallion made out of rhinestones. But there is one. See, I, I forget the I forget which sequence it is. But there is a sequence where a character steps forward and stumbles onto the vampire. I think, even though it's brightly lit in that room, and the vampire is standing right in front of him, but he didn't see him until he was like two inches away from him. Well, to to be fair, I believe that was uh, Doctor Hot Pants um, in the Wax Museum, and he was walking backwards because that's what you do in horror movies. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, then you okay. turn around, and then boom, he happens to be there. Yeah. But no, like when he brings the director to uh, that uh, to the giant room fourteen to go in and look at the coffin, and he opens the door and he goes, "Look, there's the coffin." And then he goes, "What coffin? It's not there." And then he goes, "What? It's not there." And then he goes, "No, it's not there." And then he goes. Oh, it's not there. I'm like, is everybody blind in this movie? It was like directly in front of you. All you had to do was open the door and look in the direction of the door that you were opening. (laughs) All that light streaming through to create those shadows is so bright. (laughs) There's five moons out tonight and three or four suns. It's insane. Speaking of being bright, obviously being blind, the, the guy who's running the wax museum who, by the way, gets arrested at the end. I have no idea why. Uh, um, doesn't notice Baratza standing right there. It's like apparently he does a great imitation of a wax figure. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like Baratza, and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> you couldn't tell. None of your wax figures are that good. No, they are not. That should have been the first tip-off. That wax figure looks like a human being instead of like a Punch and Judy doll. (laughs) This might be a person. Great bit with the Chekhov. Sorry. And this is a person that he knew. How do you not Mm. recognize a person that you've known (laughs) standing there in a wax machine just... You know, I have no doubt. I, Andrea and I have known each other over 25 years. <laughs> oh, my God. So apparently, according to this, I could stand in front of her and just not move and hold my breath. And she <laughs> would assume that I was a statue. <laughs> well, my vision has been getting worse. Or maybe I'm like a cat 
or a dinosaur, and you have to be moving. But if you're not moving, then I can't see you. <laughs> I love the, the Chekhov's guillotine. We'll have to call it. Of, yes. Here we are in, in the in the in the in the wax museum, and here's the Iron Maiden, and here's the axe, and here's the guillotine, and so I was like. Something's going to happen with that guillotine. And sure enough, in the final battle, Marta gets knocked out and falls. She doesn't fall head into the guillotine. That would have been prime. She's yeah. falling with her head she's into falling. the guillotine holder. But she's sort of leaning against the guillotine. She, she, she's like, leaning against second. it. For, for some reason, the cord starts fraying at that point. <laughs> for no reason. For no reason at all. Happens. Nothing happens. There's no pain. And it doesn't fall. Nothing and and, 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 and it's up. And, and by the way, she, she, she narrowly escapes death by the brilliant stratagem of sitting up. Yes. Well, it, it's, it's handy that she did it at just that moment. There's no, there's a lot, one of the things is there's no payoff Yes. anything in this movie. Because, especially considering he says, yeah, you will be mine once I place this medallion around your neck. And then he places the medallion around your neck, and she's freed. <laughs> and then he puts the medallion back around her neck. He takes it off. He puts it back around her neck. There are no consequences to anything. <laughs> Getting back to oh my God. killing the vampire with a javelin. Oh, you killed yeah. the guy. You can leave. There are no consequences. You're right. There, that that vampire should have. Well, here's the way this. Here, here we go. Here's how the movie should have ended. The cops come in. He goes, yeah, the vampire. The cops turn. They go, what vampire? All I see is a wooden shaft stuck in the wall. What's, what's this pile? What's this pile of ash on the ground here? Or something like that. It's like, no, you're right. We expect to see the vampire hit with sunlight. We expect the, the, the spirit to strike his. We want to see him burst into flames. We want to see him crumble into dust. He just sort of stands there flopping. Yeah, Hawk Scott. There's no payoff for any of the setups. By the way, the other point is that, of course, in order to get the vampire down off the wall, they have to remove the spear. (laughs) Yes, that was my point, is that if they remove the... Shouldn't he say, okay, so I'm taking off now. Yeah, there's your vampire there. Shouldn't he say... By the way, um, you might want to get some holy water ready or crosses or something, because as soon as you take that out, then he's going to resurrect again. We know because that just happened. And apparently that... that, 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 Go go ahead, Hawk. Sorry. Unless you're just relieving her as a decoration. Oh, there you go. It's a wax piece. Part of the ambiance. Put a glass case around him. (laughs) Yes, there you go. No, that would be too classy for that museum. I, I have issues. Is that just that wax museum in this movie, or are all Mexican wax museums just organized by, like, the chaos theory? It's like walking around in somebody's attic. And what about that freaky Rasputin hanging out in the background? What was that about? Oh, yeah, I saw that. What the hell? You gotta have a you gotta have a Rasputin in your uh, in your chamber of horrors, of course. Mm-hmm. It's de rigueur. Um, I, I wanted to um, go back uh, to the whole finale and the uh, the uh, the theater production there because we to- we oh, talked boy. about how bad the dancing is. Okay, what I want to know is what the fuck was that show? We see two scenes, and and they follow one after the other. The first is sort of a skid row thing, and on on, on the painted flat. And I love this. There's a 
there's like a handbill or something that says Prince of Foxes. Oh, thank you. I was trying to find that. Yeah, because I had I took a picture of the screen when that happened because I was like, what? Yeah. What am I dreaming? What's happening here? <laughs> okay, so but it starts off on Skid Row and then immediately transitions into a jungle sacrifice. Yeah, well, you know, I have a theory. I have a theory that the jungle sacrifice angle mm-hmm. was used because Marta is such a terrible dancer <laughs> that during the sacrificing scenes, you notice she's not doing as much dancing as being carried. Yeah, yeah. When guys are picking her up and carrying her, which happens a lot, she's not dancing. <laughs> the director just threw up his hands and say, oh, okay, get rid of Skid Row. We're going, you know. You're, you're now the sacrificial virgin. You just be carried around. <laughs> I just had this vision of the director going, this is bad as I think it is. This is not as bad as I think it is. Yes, it does. Okay. How are we going to make sure that she doesn't dance? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But by the way, in terms of budget, you can't uh, come up with a more brilliant way of staging your finale than to set it backstage at a theater. Because frankly, there there is um, a noticeable difference between um, a theater, you know, the actual building where live performances are held, and a movie soundstage. But not so much that the average average audience would notice it and so basically they they you know they saved um some amount of money by just stripping down all the sets and shooting a portion of the finale in the sound stage itself and they got these great iron stairways and scaffolding that they could use and light and it, it looks goddamn good and he spent 20 minutes going down those scaffolds. <laughs> I think Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, was inspired. All those walking sequences. Like, and they're walking. It and does, Frank. Yeah. And we're climbing down the stairs. And we're climbing down the stairs. And the by the way... Vampire. Go ahead, Hawk. The enemy of vampire escapes? Stairs. Because every time there's a cut, there's the fight between um, Barraza and, and Enrique... And every time we cut away from the fight, the count is running downstairs. And, I'm like, and then you're like, he's running downstairs. And then he's running downstairs. And then you're like, how many goddamn stairs are there? Shouldn't he have been gone by now? And the answer is, no. Well, and here's the other thing. The Count does a lot of, like, you know, running down the stairs, but he also does running down the stairs after he hypnotizes Marta and she is unconscious, and then he's carrying her down the stairs. And I I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but then since I was watching it again today so I could, you know, finalize my notes, I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't look like Marta. Marta looks suspiciously (laughs) non-lifelike in some of these scenes. I have a feeling, since they had extra mannequins hanging around from the wax museum set, that for some of the scenes, maybe just the actor was getting tired of carrying her. Mm-hmm. And so then they're like, look, here's a here's a, a doll, here's a mannequin, dressed like her, for some of the far shots of you carrying her down these endless, endless, endless staircases, we're going to let you carry the mannequin instead, because mm-hmm. that's a little lighter. Yeah. I mean, maybe the guy was getting a hernia from carrying her around or something. Uh, is, but uh, this some, is sometimes he's carrying her, and I believe sometimes he's carrying a mannequin that yeah. is dressed like her. Yeah. This is not unusual in film. 
by the way. By the way, as far as the um, uh, the final battle is concerned between uh, 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 Enrique and Baratza and the Count, watch the choreography. There is a hell of a lot of whiffing in there. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's like you know, and and granted, I mean, uh, uh, a stunt fight that you're not supposed to be actually hitting each other, but the way this is blocked, boy, you can see there are like miles in between. Like I will punch in your general direction and you will fall down. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. But that's where I came up with my question for the producers because the vampire's kind of getting his ass kicked by the humans and even by her. Like, he comes after her, and she's fighting him off, and at one point, she shoves the vampire, and he goes, and he falls, you know, ass over tea kettle. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not supposed to happen. He's a supernatural being. What? What? <laughs> so, um, is, is there anything else anybody wants to talk about? Anybody? Bueller? I just wanted to, to throw out two things, that both the storyline and the tagline that are listed on IMDb um, mention, things, uh, mention issues with beautiful women. Mm-hmm. Uh, tagline was, from the depths of evil, what the f- hell are the depths of evil? <laughs> from the depths of evil comes a diabolical killer of beautiful women. Mm-hmm. And the storyline is described as grave robbers stumble upon the tomb of a vampire. No. Who turns them into zombies to do his bidding. No. Which is to stalk and capture beautiful women. But there's like one hot chick that he goes after and everything else is fist fights and biting little girls and falling down. <laughs> that sounds like a section of a prison. <laughs> It just seemed uh, a little inaccurate. <laughs> okay, so shall we uh, shall we go on to talk about what we learned from this movie? Oh, yes. please let's. Okay, so okay, so Andrea, you start us off. What did you learn from the vampire's coffin? Okay, if you'd like to disguise the fact that you're carrying a coffin, wrap it in a sheet. Then no one will know what that coffin-shaped object is. <laughs> Kevin? The police never believe claims of the paranormal. Don't even waste your time. (laughs) Hmm. Hawk? Two people can easily carry a coffin the size of the aircraft carrier Nimitz. (laughs) (laughs) If you have trouble opening the gate at a cemetery, a friendly ghost will materialize to help you. Cute. Um, the going rate for forgetting your name is 1,000 pesos. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is about, what, 75 cents, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> Hospital shades let in way too much light at night. <laughs> <laughs> Superpowered creatures of the night are afraid of medical doctors who have no powers, no magic, and no fighting ability. That's why they turn invisible every time they show up. There you go. Hospitals have very few patients or doctors. Uh, Bats are held up by wires. (laughs) Showgirls make the best nurse practitioner. A person can hide behind a similarly sized wax figure and not be seen by a pursuer. 
<laughs> Vampires despise doors. Ah. Mm. Uh, wood, stone, and human bodies are all much lighter than you'd think. <laughs> True. Yep. Vampire hypnosis beams can bounce off chandeliers. <laughs> you can get from a crowded theater to a wax museum basement with an unconscious woman in your arms, and no one will notice. Hmm. Indoors, outdoors, cemetery, hospital, or wax museum, it's always time for dramatic lighting. Uh, bats sound suspiciously like seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's a lesson in about half the movies we see, good minions are so hard to find. <laughs> Women will trip running away from monsters even when they're not wearing high heels. <laughs> yes. Uh, expect to see Count Lavoud's amulet for sale on QVC for three simple payments of twenty nine ninety five any day now. Mm. <laughs> Mexican wax museums are not so much museums as the kind of cluttered rooms you might find on an especially alarming episode of Hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> Orders. Uh, Kevin is out. I'm out. Okay. Wax figures are indistinguishable from people you know and have existing relationships with. <laughs> and my final one. Uh, fuck, ha <clears throat> excuse me. Fuck Hamilton. Try getting tickets to Prince of Foxes. It's impossible. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I actually have three more. Oh, go for it. Um, vampires plus mirrors equals not what you'd expect. <laughs> um, it turns out that vampires do not have superhuman strength, and it's surprisingly easy to kick their asses. <laughs> uh, and if you're running away from a vampire, you should never pick the worst possible place to hide. <laughs> well, and, and here are my last few. Okay. Um, Barraza is a really cool name to say, actually. <laughs> there you go. Hmm. You can have a climactic fight that is neither climactic nor a fight. Just a man <laughs> waving his hands on a rubber bat. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, saving a hot woman from a vampire is payable in kisses. <laughs> Aw. Sweet. Okay, let's move on to the drinking game. So, Andreas, start us off. Okay, take a drink every time someone's face is lit up from underneath, like he's telling ghost stories with a flashlight <laughs> under his chin. Ooh. Take a drink every time somebody runs down a corridor. <laughs> oh, boy. Take a drink every time the old woman is smarter than the men of science. <laughs> uh, every time Enrique clutches his hands in a gesture of desperate impotence, take a drink. Take a drink every time you see a hand-painted sign. Ooh. Funnel cakes. Ooh. <laughs> every time something is not reflected in a mirror, take a drink. Ah, ah here you go. Take a drink every time Enrique fawns over Marta. <laughs> oh, boy. 
every time somebody drops the coffin when he clearly wasn't meant to, take a drink. Take a drink every time you wonder if the actors in this horror movie were trained on the vaudeville stage. (laughs) 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 Just another excuse for Dan to be able to make that sound. (laughs) I love it. We're selling that as a ringtone, folks. Uh, take a drink every time there's a close-up of an ugly wax figure. Close-ups only. <laughs> okay. Every time the physicians do something that no doctor would ever do, take a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time there's flat gray in the background instead of, instead of some kind of backdrop, take a drink. Take a drink every time someone doesn't see something that is right in front of them or right next to them. Take a drink every time you recognize something that's film noir from your college history of cinema class. <laughs> hmm. Every time the vampire uses invisible power like Space Ghost, take a drink. <laughs> Every time you see a mask that appears to have been purchased from a Ricky's NYC Halloween pop-up store, take a drink. Take a drink every time you see a law of physics being violated. (laughs) Um, I'm out. Oh, okay. Hawk? My last one. Take a drink every time Enrique can't show his feelings. Aw. Okay. I've got a few more. Uh, every time somebody enters or leaves a room by a way other than the door, take a drink. It's not just the oh. town, you know. There you go. Uh, take a drink every time a character has a comic reaction to something scary. <laughs> every time you think, you know what this film could really use? Flamethrowers. Take a drink. Uh, not to Brainiac. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I have one more. Okay. Take a drink every time you think... For a bad movie, this doesn't entirely suck. (laughs) And this is my last. Uh, Every time you look at the count and think, yeah, he could bite me, take a cold shower and calm down. (laughs) Nice. So, that is it for... that is it for the vampire's coffin. I think we all agree that this this is this is actually something that is really worthwhile to to watch, right? It's fun, as yeah. bad in a good way. Yeah, really, seriously. Uh, okay, so Kevin, it is your turn uh, to pick the next uh, the next film for us to discuss. So, what have you got for us? Hope Netflix doesn't drop it before we get around to it. I have not actually seen this movie, so it's about dragons and knights. I think because I haven't seen it. Uh, there's some magic, and maybe there's some mountains. I think because I haven't seen it. Um, Burt Reynolds is in it for sure. I know that because it was in the Wikipedia entry. It's going to be Dr. Uwe Bowles in the name of the king. Oh, my God. Woo! Not to be confused. Not to be confused with the king and I. Not to be confused with the man who would be king. Not to be confused with Steve King Subaru, who sold me my car. <laughs> it's, I think, our first Uwe Boll movie. And his name precedes any everything. <laughs> Everybody knows that name. I've not seen this movie. It's on Netflix. It's supposed to be deliciously horrific. We I, I have I have seen it. It is bad. I believe it's based on a video game. Uh, as as most of Doctor Bowles' movies are. 
Can we please, for the love of God, stop calling him doctor? No, you've got to call him <laughs> what doctor. What is he a doctor he of? Want, he wants you to call him doctor. What is he, he a doctor of? He did not go to evil medical school for four years. <laughs> what does he have evil a doctorate in? He did not go to evil film school for four years to be called mister. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Um, it, I, I will say that it that it is, um, you know, funny and entertaining, and there's um, magic, and there's action. Um, it was nominated for a Razzie, so that was why I ended up seeing it, because I tried to catch the Razzie nominees. Um, but if there is my top number one reason for finding this movie hilarious, it is because of Ray Liotta's performance. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Okay. And a- any film made by a man whose hobby is beating up film critics has to be interesting so uh okay so um let's uh let's before we do wrap this up um andrea what's going on over at be a better book talker.com uh yes please visit be a better book talker.com uh it's a blog it's a podcast uh i haven't updated it in a while it is it is all of those things um but you know I've been busy with real life stuff and, and, you know, hunting Pokemon and all kinds of other things that have been (laughs) occupying my time lately. Um, But I will be creating some new uh, episodes soon and I'm putting together some new notes for some of the awesome YA books that I have been reading this year. So uh, new book talks will be coming soon. Groovy. Uh, Kevin, what's going on over at uh, kevinlauderdale.livejournal.com and or chronicrift.com? Everything old is new again. I am rather pleased. Um, Tales from the Canyons of the Damned is a sort of e-magazine edited by my buddy Daniel Arthur Smith. Uh, copies are 99 cents on Amazon. They're free if you've got with Kindle Unlimited. And in number six, we have a reprint of my very first Reggie and James stories. Reggie and James is my P.G. Woodhouse spin where I put uh, the characters of like Bertie Wooster and Jeeves into genre situations. Uh, this is a reprint of James and the Dark Grimoire, which is the first of my stories. This is the one that made uh, the honorable mention list for Year's Best Horror, was nominated for Washington Science Fiction Small Press Story, was dramatized by The Chronic Rift. Um, it originally appeared in an anthology called Cthulhu Unbound. Cthulhu Unbound is not available as an ebook, so this is the only way to grab this story electronically. It's my story, plus a story by Dan, plus another great piece of genre fiction by hank gardner it's 99 cents or it's free go grab a copy of tales from the canyons of the damned number six wow that's cool um uh hawk what about you what's going on at multimediumrare.com uh the usual discussions of pop culture of widowhood of uh, life liberty and the pursuit of happiness <laughs> and the intersection of all um <laughs> I will say, though, I haven't updated in a while because this widower is dating again and has a girlfriend. So, what, what, you mean you have a life outside of this? Yes. Yes, I do. Oh, okay, social there. butterfly. Yes, and she actually listens to the show. <laughs> oh, no. You're, you're kidding. Well, no, she doesn't. She listens to the show because I make her. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Hawk. Um, my boy, yeah, Hawk. My boyfriend listens to the show because he's sitting in the room with me. So the part of the show he hears is me, and then mo- <laughs> periods of silence, and then me, and then periods of silence. Hawk, Hawk uh, some romantic advice. 
You want the relationship you want the relationship to last? Yes, I do. Yes, okay. <laughs> I I don't think I have to finish this. <laughs> <laughs> She finds it quite entertaining. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. That's fine then. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, um, and as for me, let me just say I am proud to say that the Monster Channel has officially launched and is available Ooh. everywhere, or at least everywhere you can get the uh, an internet connection. Um, you get scary movies, TV shows, monster wrestling, as they like to generically call it, otherwise known as Kaiju Big Battle. Uh, and you get more than that even. Streamed to you 24-7 for free, the way God always intended TV to be. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can download uh, the Monster Channel app to your Roku device or watch it on your browser or your iOS device by going to monsterchannel.tv. Um, they are working on Amazon Fire TV, I do believe, but that's an ongoing thing. It's not, uh, it's not a thing quite yet. And you can also hear my movie reviews every Wednesday night uh, slash Thursday morning at 1.30 a.m. on Hour of the Wolf over at WBAI 99.5 FM in New York or at WBAI.org if you're not in the area. And, of course, you can stay in touch with us over at templeofbad.com. And, yes, yes, we're still there. And that's it for the show. Uh, Andrea Lipinski, thank you for joining us. It is always a hoot. Kevin Lauderdale, thank you, too. Don't sit under the guillotine with anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. Uh, Arenthal Hawkins, uh, congratulations and thank you for joining us. Thank you so very much for having me. Always a pleasure. And I am Dan Persons, your host and producer. The music is by Brad Sucks at bradsucks.net. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and until next time, may a bad film be the worst thing to happen to you. It's the same.